0: If you have your Bibles with you today, if you could please turn in them to Ephesians chapter 5. We are resuming our time and our march through the book of Ephesians, even as we continue our series on marriage, uh, which we started a couple of weeks ago. Uh, It is uh, wonderful uh, to be back with you all this week. And again, I'd like to publicly thank uh, Stephen King for uh, filling in uh, for me in my absence and um, it was uh, wonderful to uh, hear how, how he did, and am um, grateful to him, and grateful to the, uh, to the session for um, allowing us uh, the time off to be able to celebrate our fifth wedding anniversary together. If you would, as you now turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, if we will take a look... Uh, we'll be reading, will be focusing on verses 21 through 24, uh, but I'm going uh, to begin uh, with verse 18. As we're finishing up, if you remember from the last time we were in Ephesians, Paul was explaining to us what the Christian life looks like, and we'll begin in verse 18. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit." Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the, to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's go to our God in prayer and ask his blessing on our text today. Oh, Jesus, we do thank you for this time that we have to look into your word. I pray that you would prepare us uh, for this passage that you have given to us. Help us to see the gospel in it and the beauty that you have set up. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this particular passage of Scripture is not very popular in our culture today. I've heard a a number of jokes on my way into this week about, we're praying for you, Pastor, as you bring this word. And it's unfortunate that we tend to take this approach with this passage. In fact, I would say, even though there are a lot of passages that would compete for this title, I think this might be one of the most misunderstood and misapplied passages in the Bible. And it's unfortunate because this holds the key along with the rest of this chapter, to making marriage work. As we saw last week, God has given us an enormously beautiful gift, or last time when we met talking about marriage. We saw that God has given to us a solution for loneliness, something to give joyful expression to our sexuality, something to bring new people into this world and at the same time show how the gospel works works to a watching world. This is marriage. And we can tend to think that something that profound is operated intuitively. But it isn't. As we remember in the previous chapters of Ephesians, particularly in Ephesians 2, when we realized that without Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, following along the prince and the power of these prince and power of this world, Satan himself, totally insensitive to the things of God, like five minutes ago. And then when we come to passages like this with marriage, we contend in our culture to say, well, I think we know how to run this institution a little bit better than God does. And that's an incorrect way of taking a look at this. And instead, we cut ourselves off from the blessings that we find in this passage. Now, You may be saying, I was like, okay, pastor, you're obviously putting a lot of weight on this section of Scripture. Are you saying that marriage rises and falls with how well a wife does? No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that there is a lot to say to both members of the marriage in this passage. This has something to say to husbands as well. Because men have misused this passage as well. As to think that, oh, well, this means that I have a household servant that I can tyrannize. That's how it used to be. But I don't think that's the way that passage is misinterpreted much anymore. In fact, C.S. Lewis put it this way. Follow along with this one. He says, The sternest feminist need not grudge my sex the crown offered to it, either in the pagan or in the Christian mystery. For the one is of paper, and the other of thorns. The real danger is not that husbands may grasp the latter too eagerly, but that they will allow or compel their wives to usurp it. You hear what C.S. Lewis is saying? To put it in my own terms, I have not yet had someone come into my office and saying, my husband is just too active in decision-making. When I come home, he already has all the meals planned out for the week, and he didn't even ask me what I wanted to eat. I've never heard any wife complaining about their husband in that way. This is not because, in this passage, because husbands take this role too seriously. But often it is because husbands are very comfortable being passive, are very comfortable just sitting back and letting our wives do all the work. And that's not what this passage calls for. Problems go both ways that I want to address. Now, there is nothing in this passage that is particularly complicated from a language or a grammar perspective. But I think why we tend to get ourselves twisted and not so much is because we don't understand how the gospel fits into this passage. We don't understand how much the gospel needs to transform both members of the marriage in order for this to work as it should. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to see our two points, which you can see in your outline there in the back of your prayer guide. The first point, it says that wives are called to be submissive to their husband's leadership in the Lord. That's what this, this passage is saying in this first part. And then our second point, which we'll spend time on, is biblical headship and submission require the gospel. All right, so let's jump in here in verse 21. Now, the way that this is broken up in our Bibles here in verse 21 is this looks like a separate paragraph. And the way that a lot of people have interpreted this passage is to say, it's like, ah, here's verse 21, where it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, this means that there is no real authority structure. We're all just kind of serving one another and it will just kind of work out in that way. There's no head or no head or submission that is required here. And they'll use this verse as the controlling narrative for the rest of the passage. But they tend to stop once we get to children. We never ask parents to submit to their children. Or we never ask employers to submit to their employees. Now, there is a certain grain of truth in that we should all be willing to serve one another. Uh, There is a willingness and a readiness to sacrifice for each other and not use our positions, however they have been granted to us, for our own advantages. But what this is telling us is that there is hierarchies, that there are authority structures that have been given in the Bible. Now, it's also worth pointing out In this passage, in wives submitting to your own husbands, this is a very different word and concept than what we see in Ephesians chapter 6, where it's children obey your parents. Your husband is not your father. He is your husband. This call that's being given to you is not your husband's to wrangle out of you. But this is your voluntary obedience to the Lord in this passage. And that's what we're looking at, and that's how we are going to approach this passage. As Paul is writing to us about how a family should be structured, and he begins with wives, which, as commentators point out, is unusual, that in this time, they, that, the, that those that we're submitting were addressed directly in the church. Here, Paul has something for them to do. Now, notice that it's critical when we begin here. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands. This is not taking a women submit to all men all times everywhere. That's not the case. What we have here is that wives are only to answer to two people, their husband and Jesus. That's it. And that's what this is calling for them to do. But why is Paul telling wives to do this? Is Paul just hopelessly a man of his time and stuck with the patriarchy as we see it in Rome? That's not the case. Paul is not writing his own opinion. He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is God's word that he is giving to this church. So he is not under sway of the current cultural makeup. And in fact, as we'll see next week when we get to the role of the husband, having qualifications and duties that the husband has to the rest of his family was a new concept for that time. That there, is a, there are limits that were put on what a husband and a father could do, whereas in Roman culture at the time, a husband could do nearly anything, including some of the murder of his own family, if he so chose. His will was ultimate. And here there is stipulations that have been put in for this. So it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, this does not mean that you are submitting to your husband in the same way that you would submit to Jesus Christ himself. Your husband is not perfect. Your husband is not Jesus. But what it is saying here is that when, we, when wives submit to their husbands... This is obedience to the Lord. This is something that the Lord is pleased with when that happens. Now, is this submission that is being called on for wives, is this ultimate? Does this mean that you have to do whatever your husband tells you, regardless of whether or not it is sinful, silly, or degrading? The answer is no, especially on the sinful part. You remember earlier when we were looking in Ephesians chapter 5 that we were not to partner ourselves with, the, with, with darkness. We were not to join in sin. By the way, that has a lot to say about those that have, that have found themselves in abusive relationships. This passage does not call wives to be battered. That is allowing your husband to sin. And that's not good. We don't want that. The Lord wants you to find help. And if that is the situation that you find yourself in, please come and talk to the elders of the church. This is something that we would never want to see happen, and the Lord does not want to see happen. That's not how Christian marriage is to be designed. That's not how Jesus treats his bride. So we would not allow a husband to treat his bride in that same way. So that's important to keep in mind. That this submission is as unto the Lord and in the Lord. If your husband is calling you to do something that is sinful, well, you do have to answer to the Lord ultimately. Jesus is the ultimate authority, not your husband. You listen to the Lord. Be gracious. But that's ultimately where your encouragement and where your command is coming from. So what does this look like practically if this is going to be submitting to husbands in everything, as it says in verse 24, does this mean that uh, the husband has to make every single decision in the household down to the, what type of cereal or milk you're going to purchase? I think the answer is no to that. This does not require the husband to become a micromanager because that's not how Jesus rules his church either. Jesus does not tell you what color socks to wear today. He does, not, he does not control every single aspect of your life. But what he does do is give you these principles of saying, here is what is glorifying to God. Now operate within this field. And I think that's what he's calling for husbands to do as well. What that looks like in your home may be different. If you are a carpenter and your wife is a CPA, it's best to leave the taxes to her. If your wife is a chef and you have burnt fruit in the toaster, then it's time to leave the cooking to her. This is not saying you have to be involved in every single decision, but it does mean that you should be caring for your wife and providing such a thing to where that is easier for her to do. If she knows how to do the laundry in a particular way, you should know how to do the laundry in a particular way. Being in authority does not mean that you don't have to serve. But what it means is that you use this authority in a way that is beneficial to your family. Why? Because that's how Jesus and the church operate. That's why Paul is saying this. He's not a chauvinist. He believes in the gospel. That's why he explains. Verse 23, why do wives submit to their husbands? For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body And is Himself its Savior. Now what he's saying here, Paul is not describing as husbands being the saviors of their wives, but what he is pointing out is what Christ is doing. How was Christ a servant of the church? He died for the church. We'll explain that and look into more of what that means here next week. But Jesus is cared for his church, but calls the church to a life that is good. And that's what he is calling us husbands to do for wives. If you'll listen to any of the resources that I recommend for understanding this passage and others, you'll find some of the books that I've read for this include R.C. Sproul's "The Intimate Marriage" is a wonderful resource. Paul Tripp's book uh, "What Did You Expect?" is another great one. You'll find those in our church library. Well, the reason why we are Bringing all of these things up, and as you read all of these resources, what you'll tend to find is that the husbands and wives coming to loggerheads to the point where the husband has to put his foot down and saying, No, we're going to go in this direction, only comes up a handful of times in most of these marriages. Just because you are the head of the household does not mean your wife doesn't have a brain. it means that you can still consult and you should consult her in how you make these decisions and what you do. You are to care for her, after all. You're not going to be able to care for her very well if you're never talking to her or seeing and taking into account what her needs and desires are. And in fact, if you find yourself having to pull the Ephesians 5 verse 22 card a lot, then it it might be you're not very good at explaining what it is that you're wanting her to do. Or it might be that you're not taking her needs very well into account. This isn't something that should be done often. But this is something to where that the Lord has provided wisely a structure for this marriage. So that's our first point. So much for our first point. Now into our second point. That biblical submission requires a grasp of the gospel. None of this makes sense if we don't have the gospel firmly fixed In our minds as to why it is that we do this, particularly if we find out that our husband isn't a Christian. What are we supposed to do then? Well, for that, turn with me to first Peter chapter three. Because Peter addresses this exact question. First Peter chapter three. I'm going to back up to verse 24 of chapter 2, because I want you to see that Peter grounds this instruction to wives in the gospel as well. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, see how he's making the connection to the gospel. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. What is Peter doing here? He's giving us a gospel motivation for this. Even if your husband is not a Christian, submit to him as much as you can. Obviously, if he's telling you things like don't read your Bible or don't go to church, well, then now Jesus is going to step in on those. But by being kind and respectful, we can win our husband to the Lord. This is the gospel. This is what we're called to do. Now, obviously, this is, not a, this is for those who have found themselves in relationships like this. The Bible does not advise, in fact, commands against marrying people who are outside of the faith. But for those that are, find themselves in these sorts of marriages, the command is still the same because the picture is still the same. Marriage is still pointing to Christ sacrificing himself for the church and the church being obedient to Christ. This is the gospel. Now, by understanding... Who we are without Jesus makes passages like this not easy, but easier to obey. If you're coming to this passage and you think that you are in a position where you don't have to serve anyone, that we're too good for submission to God's commands, then we don't understand the gospel and what we have been given. God does not give us these things because he's mean or out of touch with how life is really supposed to be lived. But God gives us these commands because this is how he has designed marriage to work, how he's designed the gospel to be pictured. And likewise, husbands, if we think of ourselves that we are deserving of some sort of servant to appeal to our every need, we don't understand the gospel either. The gospel calls us to take the things that we have been given and use them for others' good. Husbands, you are to use this authority for your wife's benefit. It should be, you should be the kind of husband that when she gets to these passages, she thinks, "Ah, yes, that's great. I would love to follow what my husband is doing. We shouldn't get to this passage and wince. So we as husbands should be living lives and caring for our families in such a way that we would be saying, it's "Like, oh, my husband is telling me to do this." Well, even if I don't fully see how this is going to work out, he has always acted on our benefits. He's not used this to figure out how he can figure how he can make another weekend of golf happen. But he's using this because he cares about our family spiritually as well as physically. That's what this should be. So, what's our takeaway? From all of this? Well, marriage is a God given institution that is not lived out intuitively. We don't go about this by feeling our way through marriage or assume that our marriage is the one exception that God never foresaw. That's not how this works. But instead, we obey God's vision for marriage that is the best by very definition. We have to be very careful not to let our culture influence how we understand the Bible. Even to the way that we react to the Bible. That when we get to this passage, our culture has trained us to go... Ugh. Our culture has trained us to look at this as saying, well, this is something we're going to have to explain to people. But instead, we should look at this and saying, this is God's caring for us. And that He, is, and that he knows what He's doing. But again, in order for this to work, both sets need the gospel. Both spouses need to have an understanding of what Jesus has done for them and what that means for their lives. That husbands don't just look at this as carte blanche to get whatever they want, but as a terrifying responsibility of saying, this is someone that the Lord has entrusted to me to care for and to care for well. Because one day we will present our wives to the heavenly groom. And the Lord will ask us, how did you care for my bride while she was on the earth? Did you care for her in such a way that this passage felt like thorns in her eyes? Or did you care for her in such a way that this felt like roses? That's ultimately where the responsibility rests on here. And I do want to say that there are wives that are trapped in very, very difficult marriages. I'm not going to pretend that this passage is easy to live out across the board. That there have been marriages where the husband has not taken lead. The husband has not cared for the family. And those are hard. I'm not going to pretend that they're not. But neither does Jesus either. Jesus is not pretending that this is easy. And he has promised to walk with you, even through those difficult marriages. Yes, as we've mentioned before, there are times in which marriages end. And there are even, in some cases, biblical warrant for those. But the vision that we should have for marriage is one that endures. One that seeks to glorify God in everything that they do. Including countercultural arrangements of authority. that's what He calls us to here. And he can call us to that because of what Jesus has done for us. We were rebellious people that Jesus came to Earth to live as one of us and die on the cross. He was the one that, of all, would never have to serve anybody if he didn't want to. Jesus is the only person to whom all worship, service, glory, and honor should have been owed at all times and in all places. Yet, what did Jesus do without authority? Instead, he laid it aside. He lived as one of us and served us in the ultimate way that anyone could ever serve. Dying on the cross, enduring the wrath of the Father, lying in the grave for three days, And then rose again and offers to you today salvation. If your heart has been going this morning in either direction today, come to the Lord. He'll not only provide you forgiveness for chafing against his word, but he'll give you the power to obey his word and to see that there is joy in obedience I pray if that's not something that you have done, I pray that that would happen for you today. And if you don't know who Jesus is, please come and see me. Or if you say, I still don't understand how all this connects with marriage, or I don't see how this would connect in my situation, please come and talk to me. You will not be the first couple I've talked to. It's okay. That's why we're in a church. That's why we're covenanted together. That's why we're members of one another. We want to help each other. I might not have all the answers here for marriages, but I know there are many here in this congregation that have lived out this vision and would be able to point you to how it's to be done. And what you'll find is those are very joyful people. You will never see a more confident man than one whose, whose, who, whose wife loves and respects him. And you will never see a more radiant woman than when a husband loves and cares for her. That's the vision. That's what he calls us to. If we will but hear. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have had together. As we contemplate a passage that our culture has chafed against. But I pray that we would listen to it with open hearts. That though the commands that are given can be difficult and unappreciated. Lord, we know that obedience to your commands is obedience to you. Even if no one else appreciates it, you do. And I pray that you would help us to live out this vision that you have given to us in your word. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.